Hello, hello. Welcome to the CTO Studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker. Where else would I be? This is my favorite chair. This is my favorite thing to do. Now, today we are joined again by Matt Ferguson, and he is going to talk to us about what I found to be a fascinating interview about how a dragonfly led to a conversation about ecosystems. So what I want to ask Matt is this. If you got a visit from the show's producer, would you require me, I mean him, to take a fish home? That's part of the rules of coming to my house now is the fish breed. And because the water quality is good, the fish are breeding. So you know it's good. And the other thing we learned a lot about is, you know, some of the insect life we have around here. You know, I've never watched the entire cycle of a, of, um, a dragonfly before. But dragonflies are amazing. You know, the number of cycles they go through and the amount of times that they're able to um, uh, morph into something new and bigger in, uh, in our pond and watch them grow from tiny little nymphs to nymphs that look like they're the exact thing that uh, Ridley based the alien show off of. You know, the, the monster in Alien looks like a dragonfly nymph. And it's the scariest thing you've ever saw right before it's about ready to hatch and become a dragonfly. But those, now we have dozens of the big red giant double wing dragonflies in the pond and they come back and lay their eggs. And the females only lay their eggs if the water quality is perfect. So you have, you know, we, we have good water based on the insects saying we do and everything else. But the, uh, yeah, the females, you know, just watching all this and just in the evenings with the kids sitting, um, sitting and, you know, ex- observing these things is a lot of fun. It's been very educational. Our kids uh, go to a, an academy, so they're partially homeschooled some of the week. And, you know, science projects are right outside, you know, water temperature, chlorine, pH, all the measurements, um, plant growth. I mean, it's all, there's always a, a science project going on in one of, from one of the kids based on what we have in the backyard, which has also been fun. So that was going to be my next question around testing the water. I don't suppose you need to. You can just look at life. Yeah, you can kind of look at it and say, oh, is there an algae bloom going on or is it perfectly clean? You know, you can kind of know. And then if you're seeing something, because seasonally, during the change of seasons, it can get out of balance a little bit, right? You know, the plants aren't growing yet, but maybe the fish are starting to get more active. So, you know, for a few weeks, there will always be a little bit of an out of balance. And then all of a sudden it'll stabilize um, as things catch up or the water temperature catches up with sunlight you know, there's there's so many little sub ecosystems going on, the shallows, the deeps, the shady areas, the sunny areas um, that there's really like, you know, microclimates in each part of the pond, depending on what you're monitoring. So each one of them has a different little bit of a life and the plants that grow there. So when you see the algae bloom, you don't freak out and throw chlorine into the water or anything. I used to. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? But now I'm like, wait, I'm just going to wait. Uh, maybe I need to throw some plants over there. Usually it's just, oh, we need to throw some more plants in. You know, let's move some things around. Let's figure out, you know, do we have too much sunlight there? Um, but the deep zone never gets algae. It's just maybe in a shallow area that get, is getting hot. Uh, too much sunshine. But once the water is covered with plants and has underwater plants, uh, the algae can't compete. I mean, the algae is always there, right? Just like yeast. It's always ready to come back and make that next loaf of bread. But as long as something else is eating its food, you're all fine. 
what is the purpose of a dragonfly? We have a lot of them here, and I always wonder, so, hey, what's your purpose, little guy? They're like the apex insect predator, I think. I do wonder if it's uh, Homeland Security checking our immigrant status with bionic robots. They're very majestic, you know? They are beautiful and majestic. to google i suppose in this age i should just google it but uh yeah i was hoping you could give me a delicious homemade pond answer if we're careful every summer the dragonflies get tame enough that you can pet them what 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 wow so they get used to us you know the kids running and jumping and cannonballing into the pond and there's very there's i i, I grew some very tall um, cattails, uh, you know, bulrushes next to the, uh, the, the diving jumping platform and the, uh, dragonflies will sit up there on those and they're, they'll be right at shoulder level when you walk by and you do that enough and you don't touch them and they just stay there and they look at you and eventually you can just stop and they're right there and eventually you can start reaching over and you can stroke their back. It takes, I don't know, a week or two of the kids just kind of desensitizing them. And then, I mean, for an insect to let you pet it, there's a whole other brain that makes you wonder a little bit, right? Maybe that is how the Alien movie started, was when Ridley Scott did that. Like wait, this is this is interesting. No, I, I appreciate the I appreciate digging into that because I just think I'm I'm a I'm a student of ecosystems and just listening to how you handle algae, for instance, as a way to say not I I see something bad, I've got to get rid of it, versus how is this an opportunity to fix the ecosystem, as an example. So then you built the, just, we're not going to get into this, but you built the greenhouse, right? I did. That was the suburbs. That was my uh, response to the, the COVID craziness was I'm going to immerse myself in building another structure. It's simply to make sure that we, I wanted to make sure the kids had a garden place to learn about growing food. But it's sort of, you know, growing food's great. And uh, I think that's fun, but come on, uh, grocery stores are a way cheaper way to get food <laughs> when you really add up the time and effort and dollars. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's a really important way to, you know, just uh, everybody connecting with nature and understanding, you know, how much, how hard it is to grow food and the, you know, the watering, the, the whole experience. And it's just valuable and rewarding on its own let alone that you get to have that one carrot that actually survives. Yeah, it's true. That's true. We, 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 we're doing it that way. You know, we have a pool that we've got to dump ungodly amounts of chlorine into. We have a vegetable garden that, you know, just the soil is constantly needs to be nurtured and the, 
the yield is always a lot less than you would hope it to be. And just the ecosystem just feels unhealthy because, you know, you have these trails of ants and you have uh, night crawl. It just, it just doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't feel like there's something healthy going on. Now, if you go beneath the leaves of the, the squashes and the pumpkins and this feels like there's something beautiful happening down there, but but certainly on on the surface, it's not great. When you um, start a garden in East County, uh, San Diego, you know you're basically creating a patch of green in the middle of a desert, and so every carnivore, every every everything that wants to eat green is attracted for you know a half mile around you or a, a hundred yards around you, and it's hard to avoid that. Um, which has been our lesson, um, but we're, we're getting better at it. Uh, and we, you know, try not to use too many chemicals to solve that problem. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, before I move on to your, the little IOT project you did, um, is there something about the pond that, is kind of gross, like you just did not anticipate this, like there's, you know, 10-foot eel growing at the bottom of the pool or there's like something is attracted to it at four in the morning and you're like, you know, there's just something about it that you're like, mm, I could have lived without this. Um, well, we do have trees. We, you know, we love having a lot of nice trees in our yard. We've been blessed by that. And in the fall... You know, everybody says, oh, yeah, it's, ponds are great as long as you don't have trees. And the reason they say that is in the fall, when the leaves come down, guess where all the leaves go? They don't just blow around your yard anymore. They touch the water and it's magnet, right? They, they don't go anywhere. So in the fall, we have, you know, weekly, we have to kind of clean. And uh, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but um, it's a little work, you know? And you can't just forget about it. It's like, ah, oh, we'll get that in the spring. No, you got to get them out because they don't decompose well. Okay, Matt, but what about the tadpoles and what about the frogs? We did have a bit of a frog, uh, frog a get em. Uh, it was, uh, it was my fault for getting some frogs and it took a long time to eradicate frogs. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, uh, I, I do, I do love talking to you about that project because I, I basically saw you do it. And so it was quite amazing to see that. You know, and the, everything's really tied together. The The whole backyard is just like really interesting. And, and you know, it's very, uh, you know, you step out of the, the pond, you can grab a bucket of pond water to go pour on the plants. Um, you know, it's really fun. Oh, and, and then do you have to refill, you have to refill the pond, right? With water. And especially with all the vegetation, it's you, it's breathing all the time, right? So it's even more so than a, a pool. You know, you get a lot of evaporation. Hey, 
Thanks again for joining us here in the CTO studio. And thank you to Matt Ferguson, who is the CTO at Galley Solutions. And again, my hat is off to you as a fellow tinkerer. I learned so, so much on this that I would not be surprised if later, somewhere down the road, you hear me talking about me trying to replicate this in my house and what a mess I've made. And uh, maybe I'll get interviewed. Who the hell knows? Anyway, again, thank you for joining us. If you would not mind, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please go over to iTunes and subscribe to this. Go check out Matt Ferguson's LinkedIn and we will see you next time. And don't forget to check out 7CTOs.